Howdy, everybody, and welcome to another BP Movie Journal, the show we do where we talk about the stuff that we've seen since the last time we did one of these. I'm David. I'm Tyler. And we got some great movies to talk about, you guys. But first, (laughs) stay tuned for this very important message. Absolutely, David. It's funny you should mention that. Uh, This episode is brought to you by Miniflix, the premier streaming site for award-winning short films. Miniflix (laughs) acquired... I'm sorry, you're tickling me. Not literally, but uh, (laughs) that tone of voice was unexpected. Um, Anyway... Miniflix acquires short films that have premiered at Cannes, Sundance, the Toronto International Film Festival, and many more, meaning that you can uh, watch great short films available nowhere else online. Miniflix also offers several Oscar-nominated and Oscar-winning short films unavailable on typical free video platforms. So along with these great short films, Miniflix also has a blog featuring editorials and interviews. They just uh, released an interview a few days ago with Keenan Newman, a commercial director for high-end brands like Apple, Banana Republic, but he is also a short filmmaker. So they talked to him uh, about how to get started in any part of the film world without ever taking a single film production class, which is interesting and something that I've been talking about with uh, my students uh, lately is... They say like, oh, is it necessary if you want to get into film? Is it necessary to be taking these classes? And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's my class, but I but I do say, uh, no, you do not need this. (laughs) Um, But anyway, so uh, so to check out that and other articles, just go to the page for this week's movie journal uh, and click on the mini flex banner banner at the bottom. Pardon me. All right. Um, I just have my movies, my, my, my list of movies out and I put it away. Like an idiot. I got okay. so into your ad read. There. Oh, yeah. Um, well, it sounded like you were pretty enthusiastic to, to get into it, so I understand. That's true. Yeah. Uh, all right. So I'm going to start. Um, oh, yeah. I've got five and you got two, so I'll do. Two, one, two, one. 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 Okay. Yeah, okay. So I'll do two. All right. So I watched um, Yorgos Lanthimos's The Favorite, oh. which comes out soon. Uh, I found it to be delightful. Okay. Um, it's an odd word. I mean, it's a comedy. His, yeah, oh, I know. It, it is his a comedy. Movie, his movies are often very funny. I don't know if yeah, I well, he didn't. Yeah, well, he didn't write this one. So Really? Yeah, so it's a different... Huh. It's a different tone. It definitely moves a lot faster. Well, I mean, scene to scene, it moves a lot faster. It's, yeah. still, it's, it's still a full two hours, and it kind of feels it. Um, and so I would definitely see this, say this is my least favorite of the Lanthimos movies that I've seen, but I still thought it would like, I would still highly recommend it. I'm immediately yeah. less interested when I know yeah. that he didn't write it. Uh, but you've got a fantastic three way of actors here. Yeah. Uh, you've got, um, Olivia Coleman, uh, Olivia Coleman, Rachel Weiss and Emma stone. Mm-hmm. And then you've also got Nicholas Holt in a, uh, yeah. a large, largish role. Um, and there's some other actors who show up here and there that I'm forgetting, uh, right now, but, <clears throat> Um, yeah, it's, uh, it, it I, I didn't know, I, I went in not knowing what it was about at mm-hmm. all. I didn't watch a trailer or anything. So, oh, um, neat. uh, <laughs> I don't know if that is neat. Uh, but I, I really liked it. Uh, cause I like the, the time period is early 1700s. Uh, I like the big crazy wigs and the, co- the costumes are amazing. Yeah. And as I, I don't know, I don't know that much about costuming, but it does feel like every time I'm like, wow, the costumes are really good. The credit at the end says Sandy Powell and it was Sandy <laughs> Powell who did the costumes. Yeah. Um, like usual. Uh, and, and, and yeah, so it's a very, very lush movie in terms of like the production design and the locations and the costumes and everything is just amazingly detailed. 
um, and beautiful. And part of the juxtaposition is that they're all quote unquote civilized, but they're acting like little shits all over the place and like double crossing. And there's a lot of like falling or getting pushed down into the mud, mud, (laughs) a lot of getting Tandy Powell's beautiful costumes, dirty and that sort of thing. Um, that must Nicholas be like Hull is plays such a little asshole. I could see him doing <laughs> that. It reminds me of uh, that thing about um, with Citizen Kane, where they had Bernard Herrmann write an opera solely so that it can be sung poorly. It's like, <laughs> oh boy, that's got to be difficult. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Um, yeah, and I, I, I um, yeah, I laughed a lot. Uh, I'm not really sure. I, I, I have more more thoughts i think there's um again the fact that he didn't write it does mean there's a little bit of a remove it's funny to say because his whole style is distance yeah but i'm talking about there's a remove between the direction and the material Mm -hmm. that there hasn't been before so it definitely didn't hit home for me the way that certainly killing of a sacred jail that was amazing yeah um and it 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 definitely didn't didn't do that, but it, he's having a lot of fun doing things. Mostly, I think, just sort of fucking with the period costume drama trappings, yeah. you know, and then adding in things like extreme fish angle lenses and um, weird. Like, uh, I love this. We talked about Damsel did this too, just like sudden anachronisms in like mm. modern day. Like, there's a part where. Nicholas Holt and another character are arguing about the, uh, I think it's, they're arguing about the head of the Navy maybe or something like that, mm-hmm. whether to, uh, basically whether to commend him or to exile him. And it's cause the one guy is like, uh, he just won a war for us. And Nicholas Holt is like, yes, but he also almost started a civil war here at home. So there's that, <laughs> uh, which is just very yeah. funny in his big, like, uh, you know, Renaissance wig. Um, <clears throat> yeah, there's a lot of funny stuff like that. I definitely enjoyed it. Would the film be a good double feature with love and friendship? Uh, sure. Yeah. I think love and friendship is the better movie, okay. but, um, yeah, there'd be a good double feature. And, um, I, I think for people who care about this, Emma Stone's accent work, I think, is great, but I don't okay. know. I'm not, uh, I'm not a Brit, so I can't. Right. You know, it could be terrible, but it's it's at least consistent. Yeah. Uh, and the next movie I watched, I can't remember if you saw this one or not. Uh, it came out somewhat recently. The Old Man and the Gun. I have not seen it. Okay. Um, well, you know your boy's in it, Tom Waits. I do know that. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and he's fantastic. Um, uh, it's a really. Uh, I, I, I feel it's, like it's I, David I got, Lowry, yeah, right? I feel like yeah. I got off the, on the wrong foot with David Lowry because I didn't like Eighth Body Saints, and so now with Ghost Story and then this, I keep being. I didn't see uh, Pete's Dragon or Eighth Dragon's Pete's, as our friend Scott would call it. <laughs> um, uh, so I, now twice in a row, I've been surprised because I still go in thinking that I'm not sold on David Lowry. Maybe maybe I am, yeah, and maybe I need to rewatch Eighth Body Saints. I still don't remember. I still don't think I'd like it, but um, well, it's not fun to say. <clears throat> I don't no, like that true. title. Uh, but this one is like it, it made me think, and this could, people could take this as a, um, compliment or a, a swipe. Uh, it felt like a David Gordon green type of experiment because he's making a movie that is shot on 60 millimeter using the credits are in the exact same font as Butch Cassidy and the Sundance, Sundance hmm. kid. 
all you know obviously it takes place in 1981 yeah uh, for the most part um there is a, a prologue that's a certain number of years later i don't think it actually says how many um it's like it it feels like he's saying let's make a movie that feels like would have been it would have been made here at this time and place right but then also treating it kind of i would say there's there's an obliqueness to the movie where it's never uh and this also feels like something soderbergh might do um i was going to say there's a limey quality (laughs) to like where they it's not actually a sequel to poor cow Oh, but yeah, everything yeah. about it is oh yeah and it might is, as well be if it is robert redford's last movie it's a fantastic tribute because there are literal tributes throughout the movie hmm. there's a part it shows uh a flashback montage of all the time his character has broken out of prison at one point they use a clip from the chase hmm. <laughs> it's just young him there's um uh there's a sting reference i don't want to uh give away there's a um there's obviously Butch Cassidy and that's kid is, is referenced in the, in the opening titles. Um, it, it is full of like a tribute to him, but it's also the kind of movie where, uh, I don't know what I mean by the kind of movie. And like a lot of movies do this, but like Robert Redford and Sissy Spacek will be having a conversation at a diner booth. Mm-hmm. They're in the middle of the conversation and the camera just sort of gets distracted and veers off and looks at other people having conversations at the counter for a minute. And then it comes back to them. Like then it'll cut back to them. But it's the, the kind of thing. That's what I mean when I say oblique, Yeah, it, you know, it like, um, uh, like I, I, Tom Waits has one of the funny, he has most of the funniest lines in the movie, to be honest. There's a lot of comedy in the movie, but Tom Waits is very funny. Uh, but the funniest line in the movie, which I won't give away for you. Um, you almost miss it. Cause the camera's like gliding away from him. And it's yeah. in the middle of, it's in the middle of a sequence that is not funny because one of the three of them has been shot in a bank robbery and Tom Waits is trying to dig the bullet out of Danny Glover's side. Oh, and then he says the funniest thing in the movie, <laughs> which is a very Tom Waits thing, actually. Um, he also, I'm not sure if you've heard about his monologue. His uh, Okay. Apparently, the story of what I heard is that Tom Waits said yes to the role on the condition that he could add in a monologue in which he just tells a story from his childhood. And apparently from what, uh, I've been told, it's just a real story from Tom Waits, childhood with a different sort of tag on the end. Uh, makes, it makes sense. <laughs> and so apparently he was like, yeah, I'll, I'll do this movie. I can't do this. <laughs> Ow. Ow. Well, now, now we're doing Patton. Yeah. <laughs> we're doing Patton Oswalt doing Nick Nolte. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, to tell the story. So yeah, it's a, it's a very, uh, uh, it's a very fun loose time. I think, uh, I watched the two movies back to back, the favorite and the old man and the gun. Okay. Very different movies. Also the old man and the gun is so short. It's like 93 minutes. Nice. Um, and I feel like if you like in terms of, I don't know, letterbox ratings or whatever, I probably gave the old man and the gun a higher rating. Mm-hmm. And yet I'd probably be quicker to watch the favorite again. Interesting. Just because it's so immersive and lush. You know what I mean? It's fun. Yeah. It's uh, uh, yeah. transportive and yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah. And Olivia Coleman is, uh, I mean, I'm not sure when I first knew, like I know she was in an episode of the office that I now recognize her in. Oh, but yeah, I yeah. Like I didn't really know who she was until like, uh, and even like she's in Hot Fuzz, but I didn't even really like I didn't know the name of right. Olivia Coleman, I think, until Broadchurch, uh, which is not a comedic performance. Yeah. And now I like that I've gone back. I realized oh, I think she's one of the 
she's one of the best comedic actresses uh, right now. She made she made that movie that I uh, reviewed, Prevenge, right? That's her. <clears throat> or that's, no, that's a different else. British. Uh, it's a different. It's a different. Uh, very British actress. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> shoot. Um. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah. Really. So of the two movies, yeah, it's weird. Alice weird Lowe. That's Alice right. Lowe. Okay. okay. Sorry about that. Um. So yeah, that's my summation of my day of watching these Fox Searchlight releases. I liked the second one better, but I'd watch the first one again sooner. All right, what did you watch? Okay, so um, sorry, everybody. Uh, a lot of people have said, like, oh, I really want to know your take on the other side of the wind. I'm sorry. I did not have the time to devote to it, by which I mean it's not a movie I wanted to watch like 45 minutes of and then come back to. Okay. I want to be able to sit down and actually watch it, but it's been a very busy uh, couple of weeks for various reasons. Uh, but last Thursday, after we were done recording, I was like, okay, what is playing now uh-huh. at this exact moment? And it was very limited. So I saw Lasse Hallstrom and Joe Johnson's The Nutcracker and the Four Realms. It's what was on, um, which I think is its uh, tagline. But um, <laughs> yeah, uh, wow. Uh, I'm sorry. I think I had forgotten that it's a Lassa Hallstrom Joe Johnston co joint. Yeah, yeah. I don't think I knew at all. I don't think I even knew. I had made read it. it in the. Now that you say it, I had read it in the Entertainment Weekly Fall Movie Preview. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, that's that's weird. And also, as a guy who has. If I ever liked Lasse Hellstrom, has definitely fallen out of love with him. Yeah. It, it makes me want to watch it even less. When I first saw both of their names on the screen, I thought, oh, those don't really go together. And then I thought, nah, they kind of do. Yeah. In I, fact, I feel like Joe Johnston's the, the one slumming here. Um, that's yeah. me. That's mean to say, but like, it's, it's one of those things. I don't think I know that, that like, much Joe Johnston now that I think about it. Cause I never saw. He did the yeah, Rocketeer. Yeah, I never saw the Rocketeer. I never saw that first Captain America. Oh, okay. That he made. He I never did the saw, the Wolf the Wolfman uh, remake. Never saw that. Never saw Jurassic Park three. Oh, okay. I like Joe Johnson. I think what he's does a, he made that I've seen. Uh, did he do Honey uh, I Shrunk the Kids? I don't remember. That's uh, it's. Uh, you have cited him as a as a, a director that you enjoy. Uh, I I think so. Are you but, thinking of Joe Dante? That's it. I get my Joes all mixed up. Um, Never saw October Sky. Yeah, that's not bad. It's I not saw great. Hidalgo. It's not very. Oh, good. I, I did not see Hidalgo. Jim, the first Jumanji is not very good. Oh, there and that's he did do I, Honey I Shrunk the Kids. Okay. okay, so that's there what are I know. and there are things about the first Jumanji that I like. I think he's just a very good, straightforward action director, um, and this movie certainly reflects some of that. But what I'll say is, the first fifteen minutes of the movie, uh, the Nutcracker and the Four Realms, is kind of great. I mean, okay. really, something special. I thought I was going to get something extremely unique. And I know you don't like when people say very unique. So I'm purposely saying extremely because it's even further. I appreciate it. Um, (laughs) the art direction is really something. The costume design is, is marvelous. And it really, I used the word transportive, uh, earlier. It really just transports you into this very lush and ornate past that is just, bursting with color and it 
and I was so excited. I was, I thought, well, this is, if this is what the movie is, if it winds up being this odd experiment in color and just visual design, loosely structured around, you know, the, the Nutcracker story, then I'm really excited. And then it stopped being that, uh, (laughs) because oddly enough, uh, I said, again, I use the word transportive. Once it actually does transport its character to like the fantasy realm. Which one? Just, uh, I can't, who can keep track? There are so many. Well, four. um, I mean, it's, it turns from something unique to the most generic thing. It might as well be Chronicles of Narnia. It might be the Tim Burton, Alice in Wonderland. Uh, the idea it's just the main character shows up and people are talking about like, Oh, we need to end this war. I was like, and, and what's funny is that like in the nutcracker, there actually is a war going on. Uh, you know, so they didn't even make that up, but they managed to make it contrived. Um, and it's, it's, it's so astonishingly stupid, uh, once the plot gets going. Um, but then they do, then they do have a couple little flourishes that kind of get me back on board. Um, where, uh, shoot who is it it's uh oh Kira knightley she is showing the main character like a ballet that te- that shows like the history of their kingdom and a famous ballet dancer whose name people know but i don't recall um is uh really doing this amazing work i don't think it's shot particularly well but she's you know playing this out and so it's like okay this is nice and, I, and for a moment i thought and it went on long enough that i thought wait, is the film just going to suddenly turn into this? Mm-hmm. It's going to turn into a film ballet. And I, and again, now I'm interested. Okay, then that's done. <laughs> um, then it's back to bullshit. Uh, and so, yeah, it's just like, there are so many seeds. Some of them, you know, actually do sprout of a really, really special movie, but it's, it is just choked yeah. by, a film that needs to fit in with the modern fantasy adventure. Uh, and, and it is a shame because there is some really interesting visuals. Uh, but boy, it was, it was really bad. <laughs> um, I think we've talked about, uh, I actually know this goes back way, uh, back on the show. Cause we talked about this phenomenon with Paul F. Tompkins. Okay. The idea that sometimes there are movies like usually big, movies you see billboards and stuff mm-hmm. for that you're not interested in, but you're also not disinterested. They're just yeah. not on your radar and you'll forget whether or not it already came out. Yes, absolutely. Um, Nutcracker seems like that kind of movie. It's like that could be a Christmas movie or it might have come out in October. And, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I had that same experience, I think just today or yesterday where I literally went, did that Aquaman, Aquaman movie come out yet? <laughs> like it felt like it either came out and everyone stopped talking about it or it yeah. hasn't come out yet. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I have that experience a lot with, this I, kind of movie. I actually kind of felt that way with black Panther, which again was a big, <laughs> a big event, but it'd been, it had been hyped up so much that, and partially in my mind, it's like, well, surely it's not going to come out in February. What? Um, right. Or also I've been hearing about it for so long. Yeah. It must have come out. Surely. <laughs> um, it's like, wow, you think I would have noticed that, but oh, well. Um, 
Yeah, it's uh, and that's the other thing is as a Christmas movie, it really comes up short. Hmm. Um, aside from Christmas being the the initial push at the beginning of the film, they drop it almost entirely, and I feel like on the, even the basic uh, officially, it is a Christmas movie. But boy, it really doesn't feel like that. Even the worst shitty Christmas movies still return to the notion of Christmas a few times throughout the story. This one really does not. And uh, yeah, I I wouldn't say that I necessarily regretted seeing it because I like to I like to see movies like this. Like what was it the the last witch finder or witch hunter or whatever okay. it was with Vin Diesel? You remember? Oh yeah, I do. Yeah. Yeah. I saw it because we were going to be on comedy film nerds and I needed to see something. And so, and if, and, and I was like, okay, well, I'll just do that. And it's nice to be, it's nice to see these shit forgettable movies, uh, uh, every once in a while as a reminder of what can be good. And it's nice to be surprised. Sometimes surprised. Yeah. This one didn't, it surprised me at first and then it became what I thought it was going to be. When you said, witch, it reminded me of a movie from like five or six years ago called Hansel and Gretel witch hunters. Oh yeah. With uh, Jeremy Renner and Jim yeah. Arden yeah. and Peter Stormare, uh, I really liked that movie. It was a it was a blast. It was yeah. a very fun time. Uh, produced by Will Ferrell and Adam McKay. Uh, Before Adam McKay got all serious, uh, yeah, and angry, so <laughs> angry. Um, I love The Big Short, but yeah. All right, um, moving on. I saw another <clears throat> another movie that uh, is coming out. Uh, this this fall or before the end of the year, uh, Pavel Pavlikovsky's Cold War. Oh, okay. How does it look? <laughs> I thought about that because I know you have it in our fantasy award season for cinematography. Yeah. It was a I, it was a bottom pick. Yeah, um, I think it's beautifully shot, but I also think it's not showy enough that mm. it's going to get that much awards love. It's black and white. Yes, uh, yes, it is. That black and might white. be enough, and it's one three three. So it's a. Square, yeah. black and white movie, entirely in Polish. Bring the kids. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it is, on the other hand, only 89 minutes long, which is always fun. All right. Um, so the movie is, uh, not, it's not just a clever name. Um, it is a movie that is, in some ways, about the Cold War, but really it's uh, a, a love story. It's a mini, a mini epic. It's like Dr. Mm-hmm. Zhivago, except it's 89 minutes long. Nice. Um, uh, and... It's really beautiful to look at. It's really um, uh, powerful in the way that it uses, that it actually is a kind of political history in some ways uh, and has huge leaps in, in, it takes place over, I think, more than a decade, if I remember correctly, I think like 15 years, uh, and occasionally it'll just jump years uh, at a time. Um, And so you're seeing both sides of, of, of Europe, um, you know, either side of the iron curtain. Uh, but it's all doing it through this love story. It's just, mm-hmm. you know, the couple, two people fall in love in Poland. Then one of them escapes to West, uh, to West Berlin. And then they sort of meet up and get separated again, uh, again and again over the course of their lives. Um, it, it's a really good movie. I do think, I kind of have to put in the category of one of those movies that I appreciate more intellectually than emotionally. And I think it comes down to just a question of chemistry. Mm-hmm. It, it is, it's weird because I can, I can tell like both of the actors are good. Yeah. I just don't buy them 
together. I don't buy that they love each other, and I don't know yeah. what that is. You know, it's it seems like such a uh, uh, we're, it's it's one of those uh, so close but so far away. Like yeah, every, yeah. all the pieces seem to be in place, except yeah. I'm not getting that last you know leap across the the liminal space between the two people. It is fascinating how there are so many things that are I would say measurable uh, in film. And you can say, oh, this shot had this emotional impact because it's symmetrical or whatever it is. Like you can point to things and and come up with a pretty good theory about why it worked emotionally. But when it comes to like chemistry between two actors and like, is it a script problem or is it a casting problem? Who know? Or is maybe it's the the tone on set? Maybe when they maybe in the audition it worked Mm -hmm. great. Um, and it's just fascinating that that is like the one thing that it's very hard to dis- to figure out why it's working or why it isn't working, but you definitely know when it isn't working, and it's yeah, and and it's and you can't do anything about it. But I, other people I know really love the movie, so it also could just be it could be me. Sure, um, maybe I just don't. Uh, maybe I just didn't fall in love with either one of them. Yeah, <laughs> and I didn't see what they saw in each other. This guy's a real stick in the mud. She doesn't seem to care about much. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, and then the, another movie I watched recently uh, restored by the uh, UCLA Film and Television Archive, Go Bruins. Damn right. Um, 1950s, The Man Who Cheated Himself, mm. directed by Felix E. Feist and starring Lee J. Cobb, Jane yeah. Wyatt and John Dahl. Oh, wow. Great, right. great cast. It's a good cast. Right. I like the um, idea of Lee J. Cobb as a lead. Yeah, he is the lead. Well, yeah, I guess. Yeah, I guess he's in noir terms. He's definitely the lead and that he's okay. like the sort of every man who gets dragged into, right. uh, you know, because of one incident he gets. And Jane Wyatt sort of play plays again. If we're mapping this on to noir uh, archetypes, she's, I guess, the femme fatale. But mm-hmm. she's still uh, Jane Wyatt. Most people know I guess, from Father Knows Best. And she's still like a, a housewife type woman. Like, yeah, yeah. But so she's not like the. Lizbeth Scott and Pitfall, which Jen White was also in, um, like she's not sultry and cigarette smoking or whatever. Um, but she is the one, basically the story is that Lee J Cobb is a detective. He's a gruff detective as you can imagine. Yeah. But he's also in love with a woman, except that she's married. Mm -hmm. Her, uh, she's played by Jane Wyatt, but she's in the process of, she's going to divorce. She's going to leave her husband. She's divorcing her husband. She wants to be with the cop. But um, she and the husband get into an argument. One thing leads to another, and she shoots and kills him. Okay. And so Lee J. Cobb, the detective, decides, I will help you cover up this murder. I know I work murder. I know the things to do. I'm going to make this look like something mm. else happened somewhere else or whatever. I'm liking, is, I'm liking this. Problem is, it gets even better. Problem okay. is, Lee J. Cobb's younger brother, played by John Dahl, has just made detective. And guess what ends up being his first case? Oh, boy. And so what I described in my, uh, you can read my review of the Blu-ray. Um, uh, I described it as a cat and cat game. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Cause it is two very qualified detect people who know the law and who know crime. Yeah. Using their knowledge against one another, except one of them doesn't know that he's using it against right. one another, against the other one. Yeah. You know, they're, uh, it's, it's really a delightfully, plotted and paced yeah. story it might be i don't mean this in a negative it definitely reminds me of double indemnity 
you know, except oh, sure, yeah, like yeah. the guy in order, to, like the insurance agent is working with this woman to murder her husband and he knows the ins and outs of insurance. So he knows how to make it work. And then of course his best friend is the investigator. So yeah. the two of them are, are going you know, kind of butting heads and stuff. And so, uh, but because these two are cops and because Lee J. Cobb is just such a fascinating on screen presence. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That and sounds I, I love John Dahl. Um, yeah, yeah, I do too. Uh, but it is, so like I said, it's fantastically plotted and paced, but it's also really well directed. There's a lot of beautiful, um, location photography. It takes place in San Francisco. A lot of stuff is shot on location. Mm-hmm. In fact, the Blu-ray from flick rally has a special feature. That's, the movie locations then and now they oh, go back to what, what they look like now. Um, and the finale, which I won't give away, which is, um, and I, I guess you'd call it a, a chase scene, but it's more like a completely wordless game of hide and seek almost, except with the, the winds kicking up coming off the, mm. the bay. You've got this, uh, they're in this big, like sort of abandoned, factory trying to you know lee jacobs trying to hide or whatever and the winds rushing it's absolutely beautiful and very tense um i really really dug it so yeah the man who cheated himself uh is of the four movies i've talked about today my favorite of them okay uh okay so this is a rewatch but it's been a while uh it is tim burton's batman returns uh i well, I selected it for my college class okay. um, because we were talking about um, uh, director's style. And so I used Tim Burton as kind of a case study because it's very easy to point to stuff, at least from a visual standpoint, like consistently from one movie to the next to people who aren't necessarily film people. Uh, and so uh, I wasn't sure which of his movies to pick because I think it could be argued that as far as stories that seem particularly personal, I feel like Edward Scissorhands is probably the, the, the most notable one for that. But I think as I, I also far as think Frankenweenie. Sure. Yeah. 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 Um, with, with probably some Ed Wood in there as well. But I do think that as far as his style, run amok from a, from a German expressionist standpoint, uh, to even little things like the film has double the amount of music than most movies do. Mm. Uh, like this is clearly, and we've talked about it on the show before this idea that Batman made so much money and Edward Scissorhands did well. And he, so, and critics were, were lauding this guy as like this new brilliant visualist, uh, that the studio Warner brothers just said like, do whatever you want. He goes, okay. (laughs) And did whatever he wanted. And, and so you have Christopher Walken in, in this wig that makes him look very much like the, the, the scientist in metropolis. Mm -hmm. And his name is Max Shrek who played count Orlock and Nosferatu. So it's stuff like that. But then thematically, you know, Batman is very much a misfit and Tim Burton makes movies about misfits. Uh, but then penguin is also a misfit and Catwoman is a misfit. And it's why the Max Shrek character is so important is because he is not a misfit. He is the epitome of the way things are, which is why he winds up being a villain for all three of those characters. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and so, and why his death is is so satisfying, whereas the penguin's death is so sad. Uh, and so it's it was tremendous fun to watch. Uh, I don't know how my class received it. Like it's not a great great movie. Um, and I will say this that there's another thing we've talked about when you watch a movie that you've seen a million times with someone who's not seen it and is not at all familiar with the director or anything Mm -hmm. like that. Uh, you start to see it through new eyes. And I don't think I realized certainly as a 10 year old, when I first saw it, I don't think I realized just how sexual Uh the movie is. I think we talked about when we did the commentary. I think we did. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but like not merely Catwoman's just general thing, but also the number of things that penguin says, you know, (laughs) noted 33 year old penguin. Cause, uh, when they, when his parents dump him in the sewer and it says 33 years later, um, and so, uh, which seems like you could have just bumped that to 45 and maybe it's a bit more believable. Um, but anyway, and so as I'm, as I'm sitting there, you know, writing, you know, grading papers and stuff while this is playing every thing he says, I'm like, is that the kind of thing that would make my female students uncomfortable? Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't actually know. Probably not. Uh, but m- the thing that hit me was like, I was 10. <laughs> I was 10 when I saw this and nobody batted an eye as far as I could tell. Um, and so, yeah, it's just a, uh, it's, it's a movie that I really, I really love. I don't think it's that great of a movie. I think as far as a story, it, it really is just a series of, sequences which is which is fine um and uh in fact i think certainly as far as like batman movies whether they be christopher nolan tim burton or joel schumacher it tends to be the villains trying something batman foils it so he tries something else batman foils it and then after a while batman foils the last one and that's how it works um Mm -hmm. and so uh but it's a movie that i do really adore as just Tim Burton about as unleashed as he can be with a studio property. Um, and, uh, and I was, I was glad to watch it and it really is a a marvelous score, uh, by Danny Elfman. So maybe my favorite of his. Oh, uh, all right. My, uh, the last thing I, uh, I'm going to talk about today, um, it's the opposite of Unleashed. It's a very, very leashed movie. And I'm sorry, I meant to uh, read your review of it, but uh, got too busy at work today. But uh, yesterday I watched Incredibles 2. Oh, okay. Didn't care that much for it. Also didn't hate it. That's that's the thing. That's that's a, the big part of my review. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there were, I, I found myself bored a lot. Mm-hmm. Um a big part of it is I've talked before. I'm not the kind of person who tries to guess what the twist is. Right. I knew what the twist, like the minute the character is introduced, um, I knew, I knew yeah. exactly what was going to happen. The twist was one character is introduced and you think, Oh, he's the villain. Right. And then this other character shows up 30 seconds. Later, you're like, no, hang on. I'm wrong. Yeah. That's the villain. Yeah. And that's exactly what happened. I, yeah. I figured it out that quickly. Yeah. Uh, and, and so it, it seems so obvious to me that when uh, I was weirdly like trying not to spoil the movie, I know who cares, but like the character's they, name is a spoiler. Um, I don't remember her, uh, her name. I'm going to say her, her, uh, her name is spoilers. Wh- whatever. Who gives a uh-huh. shit? Her name is Evelyn. Uh-huh. Her last name is Dever. Evelyn Dever. 
like <laughs> evil <laughs> endeavor. That's, that's pretty, her fucking name. That's pretty funny. I like that. I know, um, but it's, it's right there. Uh, you know? Yeah. Uh, but it was so obvious to me that at the point when Elastigirl thinks she's caught the guy and everything's okay, I'm like, how are you falling for that? Yeah. I guess you're still rusty from uh, yeah. uh, from superhero to being illegal. Um, it probably also didn't help that I've seen The Incredibles exactly once when it came out on DVD mm. f- 14 years ago. Was that, that 2004? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I, did, I know it like takes place right on the heels of the first one, but I yeah. don't remember the first one very well. The first one uh, holds up a lot. Um, this one, I do think a lot of the action, like everything with that one character whose name now escapes me, who can make the holes in space. Void. Void. Yeah, she's great. Uh, and the action is really well done. Yeah. With I did, her. Yeah. I did like that. Um, I liked, uh, Elastigirl's motorcycle chase, mm-hmm. uh, chasing the train. Yeah. Uh, I like that. Um, but it also did feel like we waited 14 years for what feels like, a pretty standard franchise sequel type of movie. You, if you read my review, okay. you will see all of this that like, if this exact movie came out four years later, I don't think we'd have a problem with it. But after all this time and this is what you've got. Yeah. The other thing, and I don't want to sound mean or ageist or whatever, but Craig T. Nelson and Holly Hunter sound 14 years older and it is weird. Him especially, I think. Yeah. Yeah. They have, older voices now yeah. and it's supposed to be right after her, and yeah. they're still supposed to be like parents in their like what late thirties. I, I think if that probably yeah. if that, yeah. Um, I mean, cause how old is Violet supposed to be? She's in high school. She's probably right? like 17, 16, um, maybe 15. Yeah. Maybe 15. So yeah. Uh, yeah. So mid to late thirties probably I'm guessing. Um, so it is, it definitely took me out of the movie a number of times. Yeah. Um, the way they sound, I, I don't know if that's mean to say it's not mean. It's just they, they, you get older and you have a husk to your voice Uh and it, and a big part of Craig T. Nelson's voice in the original is that it's a very strong and powerful voice. And now it sounds not quite as strong. And the fact that it helps, I I do like the, the Mr. Mom sequences. (laughs) Yeah. And the fact Uh, that like, he rather than like put his, you know, dig in his heels and decide I'm not going to learn this new math to help you. He instead takes the time and learns what he has to do to help his kids. Yeah. I do think that stuff about, um, the family dynamic and the gender roles was actually handled very well. The problem is that by the time you're halfway through the movie, it's kind of over. It doesn't stick with that. Yeah. The, well. the, that winds up being a secondary story and it's infinitely more interesting than yeah. the primary story. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause you can really, it's, it's good that we see him adjust. It's not like, like Mr. Mom is not a good movie because it's like <laughs> right. an hour of shenanigans and then, or an hour and 10 minutes of shenanigans. And then like sort of last minute, he like becomes a good guy. Yeah. Whereas Mr. Incredibles, even though it's over a much shorter amount of time, his transition, I, I believe that it comes from a character place that this yeah. is a guy who, yes, he's used to things being one way, but also he loves his kids and he loves his wife. Yeah. He's going to figure out how to make this work. And at the same time, you can really see the, the, both the vulnerability and the excitement and pride in Elastigirl yeah. that, that, that people are recognizing her, uh, first and foremost when they didn't before all that stuff, 
all this, all this stuff works. Yeah. Uh, but it's not a big part of the movie, unfortunately. Yeah. And it's, and it's tough because on one hand you're like, wow, this really is not great, but it's not bad either. And, and as much as I like the Jack, Jack raccoon thing can be removed and the movie doesn't change. Like the story doesn't change. It's not, it's this little short film in the middle of the movie, but it is tremendously fun. Yeah, that is fun. Yeah. A lot of the Jack Jack stuff is fun. Yeah, I think. Um, and funny, except I don't, I didn't care for the Edna mode stuff. It just seemed like, it it just seemed like, like, of course we're bringing back. And that's what I'm saying. It's like a franchise entry. Yeah. Yeah. That especially I agree with where it's just like, she doesn't need to be here. She's here because it's 14 years worth of her being a popular character. Right. You know? Yeah. But yeah, that's, it's, it's unfortunate. And I, I was nervous going in that like, there's a long time for the film and the film has grown in our minds and that's both to its, that's a good thing and a bad thing. Right. You know, it means that the movie has a lot to live up to and it, I don't think it did. Yeah. All right. You watched some TV, I think. Yes. Um, we've hit the merge episode of survivor. Okay. And, uh, the merge, (laughs) the first merge, the merge. Yeah. (laughs) Election year. Um, merge anarchy. I was trying to think of the other one. Yeah. What's the order it goes in? It, it goes, goes the, the merge. Purge. Yeah. The purge, the purge, the purge, anarchy, the purge election year, election year. Yeah. yeah. And then the first, the purge. first purge. That's right. And um, then there's the purge TV show, which just got renewed for a second season. Have you watched any of them? I haven't. I, I mean to, I'm curious to know what you would think. Cause you like those movies. Yeah, I do. Um, um and the fact that it's been renewed for a second season makes me think, well, they're onto something. It is. It's, I feel like I, having not seen the movies uh, or the TV show, I feel like I'd be really fascinated to see it as a TV show. Um, did you, speaking of TV shows, by the way, did you hear the CW is rebooting the 4400? They're doing a really? new the 4400 on the CW. Very strange. Does that were people clamoring for that? Like it had a very small audience. Yeah. It was a good show up until it sort of very suddenly wasn't. Yes. Uh, it really took a turn and then dropped off. Um, and I don't actually think I ever finished watching the last season of the 4400. Um, but yeah, it was a really good show. It had, a. uh, um, uh, I feel like, uh, we knew who Mahershala Ali was. Mm-hmm. Although yeah. He went by a longer name. Mahershala, Mahershala is the short version yes. of his name. There was a, there were at least two more syllables in that first name when he was on that show. And uh, I remember watching that show and seeing him in it and thinking he was not very good. He huh. was, I think he was, I remember liking him. There was just something about like the way he carried himself. Like it seemed like a lot of his emotions were forced. Um, huh. and I think of him now as actually a pretty naturalistic actor. Yeah. Um, yeah. but yeah, uh, what was I saying? Oh, uh, sorry. I wasn't saying something. I was thinking it, uh, which is, I don't know if this is, maybe this is how the purge TV show is, but wouldn't it be awesome if you had a purge TV show, but it was the format of 24. Oh yeah. I mean, it yeah. would make sense. Yeah, it would make sense, but, but it's only 10 episodes. Not, not 24. right. That's what I mean. It's got, I guess. It's 12 hours. The purge is 12 hours. You do a 12 episode. Oh, season. there you go. Yeah. yeah. But the first, I think the first season is only 10 episodes. So okay. I guess they didn't do that. But, um, okay. So, uh, this is really a good season. Um, there's some really great stuff happening, good players, and you come into the merge and there are, I believe, um, 
I think it's seven versus six. There are seven Goliaths and six Davids. But there are a lot of people that are thinking ahead. And so within all of this, and it would appear that everyone's just going to vote along tribal lines, except, of course, for the surprisingly secret six-person alliance that's three Davids and three Goliaths. And within that, there are some very good players who are... It's a six-person alliance. Yes. How many players are left in the show right now? Thirteen. Oh, okay. Yeah, I thought I, I assumed it got another point. There's like eight people, and it's yeah. like I guess it's pretty easy to keep a secret when the secret is <laughs> yeah. Most the, of the, the people, <laughs> those two people are pretty dense. I gotta say, um, but uh, but yeah, uh, really good players are emerging, and spe- players that are actually surprising. There was a guy who just seemed very broish. Uh, Jen pointed it out that uh, at the merge feast, uh, you know, people. Uh, when, when the merch happens, they have the feast and just it's all this food that people have not been able to eat. And uh, and it includes beer, because I think the producers realize that when you have people that are starving and get them drunk, fun happens uh-huh. uh, and people spill secrets to each other, which did happen. Um, but there is there's this one guy named Alec who's, you know, good looking and in good shape and young and all that. And uh, he referred to the beer as a brewski. Uh-huh. And Jen was like, Ugh. like she just hated that so much. <laughs> but it turns out, it turns out that Alec is a really, really good player and okay. really good at manipulating people. Great at at a very specific type of lying where you're able to just tell the person what they need to hear at that moment and then go and do whatever you're going to do. Um, and so that's a surprise. And I'm I'm really enjoying this season. Um, it's it's good stuff. Uh, I don't want to sound like a broken record as far as Daredevil, but oh, this okay. season, with each episode that comes along, they find new th- new beats to play as far as the character and as far as the action. Um, so I mentioned that Bullseye is in this, and. But not, it's not Colin Farrell. It is not Colin Farrell, but it's the exact same design. <laughs> I'm joking, of course. That design could not be more early 2000s. Um, but uh, the episode that I just watched featured the the first fight between Daredevil and Bullseye, and it's it, the the structure of the fight is so brilliant because Bullseye is established as a military guy who is who's good at a lot of things, and he gets involved, and so he and daredevil start fighting and it becomes clear daredevil is better at fighting than bullseye mm-hmm. and you can see we don't cut to his face or anything because it's mostly covered but you can just see in the way the actor is carrying himself that he is realizing i am outmatched so i need to distance myself from this guy and then it's gonna be like and then i'm just gonna start throwing things with tremendous uh, accuracy. No. Um, and sure. Why not? Um, why not both? And, and so it's fun to see that progression because at the, at the moment you realize the daredevil is better, the main, the, mm-hmm. the villain does too, and, and makes the proper adjustments. And the moments where daredevil is essentially like hiding behind a table and stuff is just flying at him. Uh, and like, I know it's, it seems random, but it's actually, it seems, silly, like, it seems silly, but you know, it's a pair of scissors and stuff like that that gets jammed into his shoulder and he's just bleeding now. And he realizes 
I am outmatched and I can't do anything now mm-hmm. it, because it's essentially like he's pinned down by a sniper for all intents and purposes right. and daredevil basically loses. He loses that fight against somebody that he absolutely could beat the shit out of if he got close enough. But the, but the villain was savvy enough to realize this is not a winning strategy for me. And so to see that unfold and to have the moment where daredevil is pinned down and feels very much like a war movie, but also kind of like a horror movie. Uh, it is the, the show, the technical quality of the show continues to impress me. I, I like, I almost, when you, if you had not been late today, which I don't blame you, there was a terrible traffic because yeah. of a fire. Um, I would have shown you that scene because it's something I want people to, who like action. I want them to see it oh, yeah. because it is really well executed and I'm, I'm really loving the show.